Two pastors were standing by the side of the road with a large sign. The sign had big, bold letters that read, No hope. Turn around. Go the other way. Gentleman, as he's driving by, rolled down his window and hollered at these two pastors, these two crazy nuts. And he said, Get a real job. Crazy religious kooks. I'll go where I want to go. And he just kept driving. Well, a few seconds later, around the curve, the two pastors heard a screeching of the tires. They heard a man screaming as if he were falling, and then they heard a loud splash. And one pastor turned to the other and said, maybe we need a simpler sign. And the other one said, we sure do, one that just says, bridge out, that will do it. (laughs) Today we're talking about hope and hopelessness, and I want our signs to be clear We're going to go to the Word of God and let the Word of the living God bring hope uh, to our hearts. Thank you so much for being here. Happy Easter to you and your family. And we've been praying all week that God would restore your hope. Hopelessness is probably one of the most somber uh, words in our vocabulary. A woman wakes up, hears her baby crying in the other room, She goes to help the baby and thinks her husband has already gone off to work. She checks the nightstand, and there's a letter in his handwriting. And the husband tells her, our marriage is over. Do not contact me. Our relationship is hopeless. A dad stands in the hospital hallway, and the doctor is wanting a word. The doctor begins to share the news about his daughter and and what to expect in the minutes and hours ahead. And the dad realizes the doctor isn't heading towards any kind of remedy or any kind of treatment. And he says, as he interrupts the doctor, are you telling me there, there is no hope? And the doctor looks at the father and says, apart from a miracle... The situation is hopeless. Maybe you're experiencing some sort of hopelessness this morning. You've looked at your checkbook and you're wondering how in the world you're going to make it to the end of the month. You've read the divorce papers recently and you just can't believe that you're actually here. Maybe you've been looking for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright for a long time and you thought you wouldn't live another year single, but it hasn't yet happened and you're hopeless. Maybe you've recently stood at the casket side of a loved one and even though you know the Christian perspective, you know that you'll never hear them, hear them love you again, speak to you again, hug you again, play with you again, have a meal with you again, and you feel hopeless. Maybe you've been looking for a job. You used to have a great job here in the Kanawha Valley. You were paid very well, but uh, with your age and with your experience and the sake of this economy, you're just not sure if you're going to be able to find another job and you're hopeless. Or you have a loved one who's an addict. And every so often you get this glimpse of hope and you think they're going to make it. They're going to come out of it. And then you get that call or that text. And today you feel hopeless. How in the world does Easter speak to 2017? How can Easter give us hope today? That's what we're going to look at together from God's Word. Let me invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app, if not, it'll be up on the screen. Could I invite you to stand? 
Let's stand together as I read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Feel free to follow along in your notes or on the app if you like. We're going to see how Easter gives us hope. Number one, Easter gives us hope because God promises to raise his children. God promises to raise his children. In verse 11, Paul writes, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. The assurance of Easter is the assurance of our own resurrection. Now, how could Paul be so bold? How could he declare that we indeed, we know for sure that there's the potential for us to rise from the grave? Well, he points back to verse 8, and it's all rooted in Jesus' resurrection. He says, remember Jesus Christ. That phrase is a lot like the phrase, remember the Alamo. It's a rallying call. Remember what God the Father, what the Spirit of God did for God the Son, raising Him from the dead on Easter morning. And the hope of our own resurrection is rooted in the hope of Jesus' resurrection. When Paul summarizes the gospel elsewhere, he says the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. A resurrection was a radical idea for the first century world. It's still a radical idea for the 21st century world. You see, apart from the Jews, the pagan world did not believe in physical resurrection. Now, they believed in life after death. They believed in dreams and visions and hallucinations, but they did not believe in a bodily resurrection. They believed death was a one-way street, and once you went there, there was no coming back to this body form of existence. Now, the Jews, on the other hand, did believe in resurrection, 
But they believed it would be a general resurrection at the end of time. In other words, there's coming a day when the just and the unjust would be resurrected together, the just to eternal reward and the unjust to eternal punishment. And Jesus still talks about that. That is true. But the Jews had no category for the thought that a man, a boy from Nazareth, would grow up and he would eventually die and three days later be raised from the dead. It blew their minds. It was a radical idea. Someone once asked me, is the resurrection a scientific fact? And it depends on what you mean by scientific, right? People ask these loaded questions. And sometimes it's good just to ask a few questions in return. And so in response, after thinking about the idea, it depends on what you mean again by scientific. When I think of scientific, I think of something that can be reproduced over and over again. You put this number of chemicals in at this temperature and every time you're going to get this result. But there's a difference between scientific knowing and historical knowing. When it comes to scientific knowing, there's no way to reproduce all the original circumstances of the Gettysburg Address. We will never get Abraham Lincoln to come back, although that would be a great thing, to get him to come back for the first time and read the Gettysburg Address. So in that sense, it's not reproducible. But even though it's not reproducible, it's still historically rooted in reality. I'll never be able to reproduce the birth of my first daughter, never be able to reproduce the uh, initiation of the first Gulf War, but it happened just as history tells us. Now, maybe today you've come and you're, you, you come typically to church with this question, could there really be a resurrection from the dead? Let me encourage you that you're not the only one asking that question. I grew up in church and I can remember over and over again hearing pastors say that the empty tomb is the greatest evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. Well, if you not throw me out of here just yet and hear me to the end, I'm not sure that's the greatest evidence. Growing up, I remember thinking, well, what if they had the wrong tomb? Or what if somebody actually stole his body and moved it? I mean, just because there's an empty tomb doesn't necessarily prove that Jesus raised from the grave. Maybe you think of this whole story like the governor thinks of the proposed budget. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. And you're wondering, could this really happen? Let me give you a word of encouragement. I believe the greatest evidence of the resurrection is far more than just an empty tomb. But it's in the people who followed Jesus and declared that they saw Jesus, hundreds if not thousands of them, after the resurrection. They saw him, they heard him, they touched him, they were with him. And later on in their lives, as people held swords to their heads, as people threatened them to be burnt at the stake or thrown into uh, 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 the den of lions, they said, we can't help but speak about the man that we have seen and heard. Something happened in the hearts of these cowards these selfish individuals, as you read the gospel, something changed them, transformed them, and turned the world on its end. And the changed lives in the disciples is one of the greatest evidences 
that Jesus rose from the grave. I think we all can agree on at least this one thing. Something unusual happened at Easter. If a man walks out of his own grave, if that's true, and we believe it to be true as Christians, then he is who he says he is, and whatever he says is true. Paul's main point in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, if Jesus rose from the grave, we will too. Now let's think in terms of death about someone we love, someone that we've known who has passed on in life. I think about my grandpa. I talk about him quite a bit. Several years ago, my grandpa passed away, and I was thinking of him yesterday. We went to Hawk's Nest for the day and drove up through Alloy. His first job out of World War II was at the plant there in Alloy between Boomer and Golly Bridge. So I had him on my mind in preparation for this sermon. I was thinking, where is my grandpa right now? Where We say, well, my grandpa's in heaven, but what do we mean by that? We know he's not here. He's buried in Cunningham Cemetery in St. Albans. His body isn't here. Despite what you may have read in a poem somewhere, he's not in the rain. He's not in the glistening snow. He's not in the wind that blows. Where is my grandpa? Well, the scriptures teach us to be absent from the body is to be present with whom? With the Lord. He's with the Lord. In some sense, his spirit or his soul, whatever you want to call it, is with the Lord himself. He's with Christ. Paul writes and says, to depart and be with Christ is far greater. So there's no such thing as soul sleep. When we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord if we're a follower of Christ. But this Bible teaches there's coming a day that my grandpa will be physically resurrected. At his funeral that I preached, I was able to say, my grandpa is with Christ. He's worshiping the Lord. He's with Jesus in his spirit. But I did not say, my grandpa has received his new legs. That hasn't happened yet. He's with the Lord, but there's coming a day, according to 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of time, that all those who have died in Christ will then be raised with brand new bodies. We don't just believe as Christians in life after death, but we believe in life after life after death. It's like the software one day is going to be downloaded into new hardware, and he will receive a glorified body. Romans chapter 8 and verse 11 tells us, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life, not just to your spiritual body, but to your mortal body through His Spirit who dwells in you. N.T. Wright, the Bishop of Durham, writes this, Jesus' bodily resurrection is more than the assurance that we go to heaven when we die. It's the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. After all, that is what the Lord's Prayer is all about. What hope do we have on Easter? God promises to raise his children. What other hope do we have at Easter? Well, Paul continues to write, and in verse 12 we see that God, he promises to reward his children. God promises to reward his children. In verse 12, 
He writes this, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. God promises to reward his children. Let's think for a minute to whom Paul was writing. He's writing to Timothy. That's why we call this the book of 2 Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor in a pagan city of Ephesus. And there was a lot going on in this church. You had outward conflict and inward conflict. The outward conflict was persecution. Uh, For you to say that you would not bow to Caesar as Lord of Lords was dangerous decision. It was dangerous stuff. And so he's got this flock of Christians, of Christ followers, that he's trying to love and protect and to teach them to navigate the world being wise as serpents but harmless as doves. He wants them to be faithful in the midst of persecution. Some of the Jewish congregants were being shunned by their own families because they chose to follow Christ as the Messiah. They were excommunicated or kicked out of their families. But there was also problems within the church. False teachers had had crept in and began teaching things contrary to the gospel. And, and, And Timothy, as a timid young pastor, just wants to keep peace. He wants everybody to get along. Why can't we all just get along? And Paul writes him and he says, you've got to confront the false teaching. You can't let it spread. If it spreads in your church, it will spread like a cancer. You've got to put a stop to it. And so Timothy is told to endure, to be strong, to be strengthened. And Paul holds out in front of him not only the hope of resurrection, but also the hope of reward. He says, Timothy, if you endure, if you're faithful in your service and faithful in your suffering, you will be rewarded. And we don't have time to look at verses 4 through 10, but if you're taking notes, verses 4 through 10, he gives several examples of what it means to suffer first and be rewarded later. Suffer now, be rewarded later. It's kind of like the Heinz ketchup commercial. The best things in life come to those who wait. It was also a Guinness commercial in the UK, but we won't talk about that. Uh, There's suffering before the reward. The five examples that he uses, he used, first of all, the example of a soldier. He says soldiers suffer, and then later they're commended. And then the next verse, he uses the example of an athlete. He says, athletes suffer and they strive, but then they're crowned. The third example is that of a farmer, and he says, farmers, they sow and they work the soil and they labor and they sweat, and their reward later is crops. The fourth example is Jesus, who died on the cross. What was his reward? It was coronation. In context, he says that he was declared to be the son of David. Jesus has been the son of God for eternity, but at his his resurrection, we can say he is coronated. He He is the son of David. Fifthly, Paul uses himself as an example. He says, the reason I suffer, Paul says, I'm even in chains. He's probably just days away from being executed for his faith. Paul is. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, I am in bondage, I'm in prison, I'm in chains, but my reward is more Christians. So in other words, as we suffer with Christ, we will one day be rewarded with Christ. The book of Revelation from beginning to end over and over again says, because they endured, 
because they served faithfully, they were rewarded. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14 says this, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, if I were writing the Bible, this is probably how I would have written it. You know, one day this world's going to pass away. And we're going to be with God in heaven forever. So there's really no need for us to really strive, really work hard. After all, the earth is going to burn up anyway. What's the big deal? I mean, we sometimes talk like that, right, about the earth. You know, why would we want to do good on the earth? It's like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic or planting a rose garden at a construction site. It's all going to go away. What's the big deal? But Paul never speaks about the resurrection that way. Paul always speaks about the resurrection and he says, hey, in some way that even he didn't understand, your good works carry with you into the new heavens and the new earth. In some way that I've heard pastors try to describe it, I've even tried to describe it, you know, how many crowns you get for for this good work and If you get more than one crown, as a kid, I used to wonder, do they stack up like Legos? How does that work? You know, what if you get 10 crowns? Are you more spiritual than the guy that gets five crowns? In some way that we can't understand, our good works go with us into the new heavens and the new earth. You say, why does that happen? It's not so that we can go around and brag and I can say, well, I I earn, you know, I earn more crowns than Avon. And Avon must not be that great of a guy. I earned, you know, a lot more than him. It's not why we do it. We do it for Revelation 4, verses 10 and 11. He says, And I saw a great throne, and the saints gathered round about the throne, and they fell at the feet of the Lamb, and they cast their crowns before his feet, saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. To him receive power and glory and honor, for he has created all things, and by him they are and were created. We can be rewarded to further magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. This past week, I received a text from one of our community group leaders. One of my good friends was just sharing with me about how he's seeing Bible Center's vision lived out in his community group. I loved this. He says, just a quick note to let you in on what our community group has been up to. Last year during May We Serve, we spent one evening painting at the Davis Child Shelter. Since then, we've kind of adopted the shelter and the kids there as our mission field. We try to take them to dinner and spend time with the kids once a month. Last week, we took them bowling. But next week, we're going to take them to dinner at Top Spot in Sissonville. How many have eaten a top spot? And those rolls make you slap your mother-in-law. They're so good. Um, it says, I don't think my, mother, my mother-in-law is in here. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, focus. Okay, the kids. His text says, 
The kids wanted chicken and dumplings, and Top Spot has won the taste of Charleston with theirs. And for our group of doting parents and grandparents, if the kids want something, we do our best to deliver. Our community group truly appreciates Bible Center's commitment to serving this city and the people in it. Bible Center Church will always remain close to the gospel. The gospel is the engine of why we do what we do. But a car is much more than just an engine. It has wheels and a body and a steering wheel. We as a church are going to move forward and we are going to bless Charleston. By the grace of God, as this church has done for 74 years, may we do it for 74 more and in greater ways, blessing our city with good works. Why do we do it? It's not because we want to trick people into coming to church. Well, maybe if we get our picture in the paper, maybe then they'll come to Bible study. That's not why we do it. I want us to be a church that is a living billboard that says we believe in the resurrection. We believe in reward. And we want to show Charleston just a little taste of what that feels like, what that smells like, what that tastes like, so that Charleston may know there is a God in heaven who loves this city. If you're interested in knowing more about Bible Center, let me invite you just to jump on board. In two weeks, we've got a membership weekend. We do it right in here in our worship center. We had about 40, 50 people last time. We have tables. All of our pastors are present, all of our staff. And for an evening and a half, Friday evening and Saturday, we share more about this vision. What do we want to do with special needs? What do we want to do with adoption and foster care? What can we do with God helping us with a counseling center and a prison ministry that's in our backyard? Come with us two weeks to membership weekend. God raises his children. God rewards his children. But number three and lastly, there's one more promise. God redeems his children. God promises to redeem his kids Paul ends this section with a word of hope in verse 13. He says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Number three, God promises to redeem his children. You know, as Paul writes to Timothy, we get an idea of what Timothy was like. When you figure out that Paul writes to this church, the things he encourages that church to do, you can begin to put the pieces together and figure out what that church might have been like. The same with Timothy. Over and over again, we find that Timothy was probably a a timid character. Uh, Paul says, let no man despise your youth, but be an example of the believer. Timothy probably tried to shrink from the truth, probably didn't want to offend anybody, and, or perhaps was just afraid of the, of the persecution that could come. And so Paul, over and over again, tells Timothy, don't be afraid. Step forward with confidence. Be bold. Do what's right. And you can imagine as Timothy's reading these words, he's reading about being a good soldier. Timothy, be a good soldier. Timothy, be a good farmer. Be an athlete. I can picture probably at the same time two emotions running through Timothy's mind. These kind of things run through my mind. One is, yes, let's go charge hell with a squirt gun. 
Man, let's go get it. Let's do it. Let's win the city for Jesus. But you know, every time we're saying that, often there's another nagging feeling in the background, and it's this. Can God do anything with us? Can God do anything with me? Lord, you know who I really am. Come on. I've not been perfect in my faith. Lord, I don't have near the faith of brother so-and-so or sister so I don't have that kind of faith. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, even though there are times where you are going to feel faithless, remember, even in those times, I am faithful. It's kind of like the man who came to Jesus with his son. And Jesus said, if you believe, I'll perform this miracle. And Jesus says, I believe, or the man says, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. In other words, Lord, I've got some faith, but I'm not perfect in every area. God, help me. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, yes, strive, yes, push, but always remember you're never going to do it perfectly. You're never going to be able to pray enough. You're never going to be able to do enough good works. So remember, it's not about you, but it's about my faithfulness to you. It's kind of the way we deal with our kids, the way we love our kids. Uh, yesterday, I told Sarah we've been busy this week getting ready for Easter and Good Friday. I said, let's, let's take the kids, let's get in the car, let's put the kayaks on top of the car, and let's go to Hawk's Nest Lake for the day. Let's just get away and be together. At least we're all in the same car. So, you know, as a dad, I have this perfect vision of what the day is going to look like, right? I mean, you know, the kids are just going to, like, you know, skip to the car. <laughs> and Sarah's going to be giving me a massage, you know, as I drive all the way to Hawk's Nest. You know, I'm going to need a massage. And, and it's going to be great. The sun's going to be shining. And, and the food's going to be perfect. And, well, that wasn't exactly how the day went yesterday. You know, on the way, it was raining. And, and I'm arguing with the rain. Like, wait a minute, the app said only 20% chance of rain. Why is it raining? You know, it's going to rain anyway. Uh, the kayaks yesterday, one of our kayaks, I guess it was the kayak I was supposed to strap down on my side. I didn't get it strapped down all the way. And so going down I-64, one of them, thankfully it didn't come off because we had all the safety hooks on it, thankfully. Uh, but it begins to make a funny noise. And Sarah says are they supposed to make that noise? I'm like, oh yeah, babe, I've done this a lot. Sure, they make, they make noise. And we get off and one of them's like flapping on the side of the car. Um, we get there and you know, our kids are great, our kid, but our kids are kids. Just like I'm human, our kids are human. And asking your kids, where do you want to eat is like negotiating a treaty between North Korea and South Korea. <laughs> you know, where do you want to eat? Instantly, it's like the farthest places away. And so, you know, I get a little frustrated, and, and, and kids get frustrated. It's not always the perfect day, but we had fun. I love my kids, even when they're not perfect, because my love for them doesn't depend on their love for me. And my faithfulness to them doesn't depend on their faithfulness to me. And God's love for you doesn't depend on your love for Him. And His faithfulness to you doesn't depend on your faithfulness to Him. But He says, even when you fall short, even when you try and you miss the mark, He is faithful. He will redeem you. He will strengthen you because it's all about Him, not about you. 
What's the main encouragement this morning? It's simply this. Make sure you are God's child. Make sure you are God's child. In verse 11, Paul writes and says, I endure this hardness because in summary, I want more people to be saved. In verse 12, he he says something quite negative, a little somber here. He says, quite somber. He says, but if you deny him, he will deny you. Now, right about now, we're talking about those of you who are contemplating whether or not you want to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're thinking, Matt, it was a good sermon so far. At least I hope you're thinking it was a good sermon so far. But you just sucked the hope out of the room. Why did you have to mention verse 12? I thought we were going to be able to skip over it. But he says, no, if you deny him, he will deny you. Reminds me of the story of a lady named Tammy Kramer who worked in an outpatient AIDS clinic. Tammy had grown quite accustomed to knowing her patients, loving her patients, and one of her friends came in for treatment, and he waited for the doctor, sat on the stool. The doctor arrived and shared with him the news that he probably had less than a year to live. As he left and stormed out of the doctor's office and went by Tammy at the desk, he told Tammy, he said, that jerk just took away my hope. And Tammy looked at him and he said, well, maybe you need another hope. And this morning, maybe you're thinking, that jerk is going to take away my hope. Well, my humble encouragement is that you will find another hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And he says in Romans 10, 9, that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Dick Reif, been a member at Bible Center for years. Some of us call him coach. How many of you know who Dick Reif is? A lot of you know if you played basketball with him or softball. Dick and his wife just took, came back from a vacation in Mexico And he came into my office the day he got back just to share this great story. He's always looking for people who need Jesus. And if you saw some great pictures of Dick at at Mexico, he got a Walmart tattoo on his neck. Uh, He can tell you all about that, what happens when you lay on a Walmart bag and fall asleep in the sun. Um, (laughs) Dick was sharing the news about this, this woman named Joanna who came to faith in Jesus. He said he and Anna had made friends with her during the week and began to talk to her about her faith, and she's very religious, believed that Jesus is God, believed that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross. She even believed in the resurrection. And Dick, in the last day, he and Anna asked Joanna, he said, do you, do you know for sure that you're God's child? Do you know for sure you have peace with God? And she said, no, 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 I don't. And he said, have you ever prayed to receive Christ as your Savior? She said, no, no, I haven't. And right there on the day they were about to get on their shuttle and head back to the airport, Joanna bowed her head and prayed to ask Jesus Christ to be her Lord and Savior. When Joanna asked God to save her, God did because he's faithful. And today, if you'll ask God to save you, He will, because he is faithful. He raises his children. He rewards his children. He redeems his children. 
make sure you are God's child. Will you bow with me in prayer? With heads bowed and eyes closed, this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, Easter is a great time to do that. If you feel the Lord tugging at your heart, let me ask you to pray this prayer with me. There's no set prayer in the Bible to be saved. One man said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he prayed, and God saved him. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to pray this prayer. Would you in your heart, right there where you sit, pray these words with me to the Lord, asking him to be your Savior? Here goes. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I've not been perfectly faithful to you. But I believe you love me unconditionally. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And I believe he rose from the grave. Please come into my life and make me a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that, will you let us know today? Before you leave, we have men and women back in the living room, pastor back in the living room. I'll be here at the front. You can send us a message or drop us a note in the response box. Just say, hey, I prayed that prayer. We'd love to follow up with you this week and help you grow in the Christian life. Christian, has God spoken to your heart about what it means to endure your suffering? Many of you are walking through deep valleys right now, and you've been asking, you asked this morning, is this really worth it? Is it even worth it? Whatever it is, I pray you'll give that burden to the Lord and believe it is worth it, that you will be resurrected and you will be rewarded if you endure. Do not quit. Let's take a minute before we sing this last song and give our burdens to the Lord.